We are boothin'. Welcome to Booth, and this is the world's greatest holofoil Pokemon type beat podcast in the realm of abstract storytelling, with the conclusion of each episode being a genuine off of the top of the big old seven seven eighths inch fitted hat dome piece. It's a freestyle, and I am y'all, y'all, I'm your captain, yes, y'all, y'all, that's you all twice over contractions capitalization and spacing are important when it comes to my name and uh you're you're entering my sandbox now and uh and i'm like the neighborhood cat that's hidden all kinds of treasures in the midst so if you follow my lead i think you'll be okay but if you wander too far from the point then you might find what my cousin Keith once found in the cat box. Found a little treasure. But isn't that kind of beautiful, right? If I found uh, Keith's treasure today, I would be a little bit nauseated. You know, you, uh, you go dipping for apples and you come back with a, a fistful of, you know, mummified, petrified uh, cat you know you know what i'm talking about then uh that's tough but when you're a kid it's a treasure it's a treasure because he didn't immediately sniff it out he well that's didn't even mean it like that he didn't immediately notice so what was up with that blissful moment then was it a treasure it was a treasure to him right a little perspective for you it's not always that type of shift in perspective, that uh, that type of experience where we look back on something we loved as a kid with uh, a grotesque air of distinction in our eyes as we get older. Sometimes it kind of inverts. Uh, let me give you an example here. Today I went to my primary care physician for the first time. Um, I'm not proud to admit it but since i moved to oak island basically i've just gone to instant care uh you know i like scratched my eye uh with some sand one time i just went to the instant care when i got that second degree sunburn uh and the doctor was like if you keep doing this you will definitely get skin cancer most likely uh, again instant care but i'm trying to be on my grown you know, individual life, uh, a primary care physician seems like such a better deal than having to go into the instant care. And I mean, I know the people who work there are doing the best they can in the situation, but I just feel like if you have a physician who is used to uh, dealing with you or has kind of watched how your health has changed over time, they can really effectively respond to whatever it is you need. And so, I bring up the doctor because when I was a kid, I hated the doctor. I mean, I 
hated the doctor. And I don't know if it was intentionally passed down, but my grandmother was like that too. Uh, my grandmother had, it was almost a phobia. It seemed irrational how much, uh, how defensive she would get around doctors. She was, uh, I mean, she's passed away, I think, 10 years now that she's been gone. But she was diagnosed uh, with, I believe, bipolar disorder way back in the day. Um, and I think they did, like, shock therapy on her. And so ever since then, uh, she... You know, and rightfully so. I don't, I'm sure it was, I'm sure she had PTSD or something along those lines. I'm not a doctor, but I mean, if you feel as though you're being tortured or they're, you know, the methods they're using to treat you are actually, uh, you know, potentiating the problem, then I'm sure that that did not really harness a, a good love of doctors. And I mean, my grandmother raised my mom and I, I don't know. I don't know if that kind of came through with me not liking doctors as a kid. I don't know if it was a poverty mind state. This sounds weird, but you know, a lot of uh a lot of people who grow up um maybe a little less financially uh, literate or secure than some other people of uh you know, a higher social class. I've just recently started to hear or maybe tune into the idea that uh, growing up broke kind of gives you a poverty mind state and it kind of affects the way you you process events, uh, even, you know, subconsciously, maybe. For example, I, I brought up the whole poverty mind state and going to the doctor as a kid. Because even if it's not my overt uh, forefront worry if it's not the uh, the banner I got on my forehead, there is still a part of me that is afraid when I'm at the doctor that something is wrong, maybe, you know, and that that's going to cost my family money. And just being there itself uh, felt like a cost and a burden. My parents never did anything to make me feel like it was a burden. You know, they never uh, held it against me if I had to go get a dental cleaning. I just mean that... uh you know, after a certain point, when you're a kid, you realize your parents work hard for what they have, uh, even if they don't have as much as some of the other people, you know. And so I don't know if that came into play with uh, how I felt about doctors as a kid, but basically I dreaded going, uh, you know. I, I guess this podcast is partially like self-help journey at this point in terms of like, you know, talking about weight loss and life changes I mean, make of that what you will, and I don't know. I don't know if it's sticking that when I throw it against the wall. But, um, you know, every year when you're a kid, if you're a fat kid, it's not like you're losing weight if you're not doing anything and uh, kind of going ham. So, actually, this is something that not a lot of people know about me, but up until about the age of five or six, I was, like, vegan. It was a diet called the McDougal diet. Uh, that and my parents were involved with a church that, um, I guess had you know tried that diet or recommended it if you're trying to live like a healthy vegan lifestyle. Anyways, I was rail thin, uh, as a a young young kid, um, you know, five and six years old, 
But eventually that didn't take. I still haven't gotten a clear reason for why we stopped. Um, Either way, after a certain point, um, you know, we just kind of started to live like, uh, I, I guess I would have to qualify maybe how I grew up as lower, lower middle class. I'm not comfortable, you know, waving the poverty banner, but uh, we were not making much money, you know, single wide trailer for the first uh, five or six years, I think five. And, um, you know, just like I said, my parents had to work hard for what they had. And so anyways, uh, so I guess the diet moved towards, you know, cheap, tasty stuff. And I don't really blame my parents for me being, you know, overweight now as an adult, um, because I mean, that, that sort of thing does run through the fam, but I mean, I lost a bunch of weight when I was 17. Uh, I mean, I got down to like the lowest, I was like 178 and I'm five foot eight and that's probably the, the thinnest I've been as an adult, quote unquote. And I just, I started slacking when I got to college and, you know, life kind of gets in the way or you get in the way of yourself. But the point is, um, you know, as a kid, I just, I started to gain weight. And when I would go to the doctors, it always felt like, I know that they were concerned about my health, but some, for some reason, and I was a sensitive kid, I, I think I am a sensitive person, um, generally speaking. But uh, but for some reason, the way they would talk to me or really more so talk about me with my mother in the room always just left me feeling bad. It, it, it never seemed proactive, like, hey, here's this is what, you know, we can do to try and curtail this. Here's uh, some resources. It always just felt like, you know, you get told to lose weight, you get told that you're fat. But it's just, you know, it's like if I knew how to do that as a as a youngin, I would have not been fat in the first place. You know what I mean? So I guess it just almost felt like when I was a kid at the doctor that I was being picked on. And a lot of that, I think, just is, you know, a personal complex. I don't think that's, uh, you know, that's just from my, my experiences as a kid. But um, anyways, as an adult, you know, my perspective shifts. Sorry, thank you for following me down that rabbit hole. But, um, you know, my perspective shifts as an adult. So I went to the doctor, primary care physician, for the first time. And I told him about doing the intermittent fasting. He was real cool. He was from Oregon. Uh, he had, like, a that uh, kind of West Coast uh, demeanor. And I liked him because he didn't bother with small talk. So, um... I cut him off. I started to say something at one point and then I apologized and I was like, Oh, you can finish. And then he was just like, continue. And that's great. Instead of just being like, no, it's fine. Da, 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 da. I just like the single word, uh, demand because, you know, I'm sure he has a whole docket of people to see during a day. But anyways, it was cool because the doctor talked to me like an adult. I mean, I was never a dumb kid. You know what I mean? I, I think maybe that's part of what bothered me about having a doctor talk about me to my mom, like, or not involving me more in the, the conversation about what's going on with my health. But it just felt really good to be treated like an adult. And actually, I was kind of ashamed I didn't have a primary care physician from 2016 to this point. Uh, but 
what can you do? You can't, you know. You can only move backwards so far in a game of chess, right? Every board has its limits. So it was my goal to try and be transparent with my doctor about, you know, the dieting, the progress that's uh, come about, you know, since February of this year. And it was really cool. He was very smart. Of course, I mean, I think every doctor is probably pretty smart to to get that far um, in the at least book smart, you know, but uh, he, he talked to me like an adult. Uh, he talked about realistic options for uh, weight loss that people consider. I figured uh, I requested the um, oh, what's it called? Sleep apnea test that you do at your house. And uh, I did that just because I was actually at Larry Jetson's uh, bachelor party. And he was like, hey, cuz, you straight up did not breathe for a minute while you were sleeping last night. And I was like, oh, gosh. Um, And that was also at the beginning of trying to lose this weight in the first place. So we'll see what's up with a little, you know, sleep apnea. I'm hoping I can get healthy enough uh, to the point that I don't, you know, I mean, I've made it this far without using a CPAP machine to sleep. Uh, and I think a part of it, it, you know, it might even be dealt with if I just stop sleeping on my back. But, um, you know, whatever. If, if it turns out that's what I need to get a good night's rest for the time being, uh, you know, of course, I'll gladly do it. So what I'm paying for the insurance for is to optimize my health in addition to whatever I can do myself. So, you know, it's not very gangster. It's not very G uh, to be at the the party <laughs> and then have say, all right, well, I'm going to retreat to my CPAP machine for a night's rest. But, hey, uh, you know, better than the alternative. So anyways, it was it was just really nice to be treated like a valuable customer. I mean, or what, whatever you want to call it. I mean, you're, you're a patient. But as a kid, I, I felt that way about other doctors. My, I had a dentist. I don't think I've talked about this guy. And my mom claims, and and my mom is actually who I really think is maybe the biggest influence on this podcast in terms of this sort of narrative uh, storytelling, this sort of round-the-table, lean-in-to-hear-more narrative. And she claims that uh, I, I said, Mommy, that doctor sure prays a lot when he works on my teeth. And uh, what I was getting at is uh, I had this doctor when I was a kid, kid, you know, maybe seven or something. Uh, Once I had the full uh, little baby grill uh, on the top and the bottom piece. And he would just be cleaning my teeth and he would just be like, Jesus, Jesus Christ, God, God. And uh, he was he had the worst bedside manner of any dentist. Uh, my mom says that too about just how he would talk uh, to people, but uh, of course my dad loved him because my dad has—I uh, love my dad, but like his social sense is just a little different from yours and mine. Probably, you know, he probably uh, appreciated the very abrupt and direct form of communication this dentist was offering. But when you're eight and you feel like the dentist is mad at you because you have, you know, a cavity or plaque on your teeth. Um, and so you're making him, you know, have to work harder to do his job, then uh, it doesn't really foster a, a 
a sense of love for the dentist. And I remember uh, I had a filling and they did not properly numb it. And after that day, I went back to my mom and I and I remember this one. I don't remember saying the dentist was praying a lot, but I remember him, you know, basically like cursing under his breath as he worked on my like, you know, eight year old teeth or whatever. Uh, but I do remember going to my mom and saying, I'm not going back to that dentist, period. Because that that cavity without enough of the uh, Novocaine or maybe he didn't hit the right you know nerve or whatever. Uh, that was something else. So, anyways, the point of uh, that in relation to how perspective changes is once I went to a different dentist, they looked at my teeth and they were like, oh, yeah, these are great. Same teeth. Same teeth that had the other dentist, you know, saying, Jesus Christ, God, had these other dentists just say, hey, well, you know, you should probably floss. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Uh, and also pay more attention to like your bottom front row of teeth. And that just kind of blew my mind. Uh, because when I was a kid, oh, pardon me, gross. Um, when I was a kid, I basically thought that like the doctor or the dentist was somebody who was there to make you feel bad about the things that are wrong with you instead of the fact that they are actually there to help you deal with those you know, in a realistic and sustainable way. And uh, and that's just perspective that's come with being an adult. And, you know, realizing now that I have health insurance, that I'm since I'm fortunate enough to be employed like that, uh, that I am a, in addition to a human who deserves to be, you know, healthy and happy, uh, or at the very least healthy, that I am also a customer, a paying customer uh, for my insurance and that I, you know, deserve uh, the best possible care. So, you know, a lot of things change with time and uh, people change too. Oftentimes, I think socially, people changing is really heavily uh, skewed towards negative perception, you know. You changed. You went and changed on me. That's kind of the the common, you know, movie or uh, literary theme. But, you know, people change for the better, too. I just spent this past weekend in Conway, South Carolina. Uh, A guy I've known for 12 years now has changed. I mean, he's always been a very hardworking guy. I met him when we were at Carolina over our mutual friend, Rhino. Uh, But this gentleman, his name is Nick. He's just leveled up in life. Um, he graduated the same you know, time as me, 2012. Went to law school, and I think he was out in like 2015. And then he, you know, he was just kind of off to the rat race in Charlotte. And he's still a lawyer, but now he's like getting into stock trading. And I know this sounds weird, but it's just like I don't know anyone from, uh, from when I grew up. That's into that kind of thing that has a real uh, like growth mind state when it comes to wealth. But, you know, it makes sense. And, I, and then as the uh, other members of the college crew kind of showed up to Conway and they all started talking, I realized all of these guys are starting to work on uh, investing in the market. And I've seen other people on social media, too. I mean, I, I want to give credit where it's due, but. It's just the type of thing like I never think about my money making money or or passive income uh 
generation, but my my buddies have changed, you know, with their career paths, whatever they're working in. One of them is, I believe, professionally a stockbroker, and all of them were into them stonks. And it made me wonder, like, what am I doing in terms of savings? And I know I reached this point about three years ago where I was sitting around and I loved all my friends, and I still do. But uh, they always say, like, if you look around the room and you're the most successful person in the room, then, you know, you need to be in a different room. And I don't think by, you know, that saying means ditch your old friends. Uh, And I don't think I was better than anyone. I just meant most of my friends worked in the service industry, um, you know, bartenders, I have nothing against that. And I, you know, was a waiter and a bartender and a a dishwasher at different points in my fine storied career. But, you know, there's just something to be said for uh, at least knowing people in, in high places who can help you gain access to networking, you know, jobs, uh, opportunities. And it's interesting that this crew of people I went to school with, it's kind of coming into their own as we're, uh, you know, all in our 30s or approaching our 30s. And by the way, shout out to uh, one of the last Boothin episodes of my 29th year of birth. Uh, Leo season's about to be among us, folks. <clears throat> Anyways, I guess my point is I had a great time over the weekend with these friends, but all of us have changed. You know, some of them have new partners. Some of them are married to the people. Uh, who were in the friend group in college. Some of them have changed careers multiple times, but despite all the changes, I had a moment this weekend when I realized that these friends that I'm with, like as somebody who's about to be 30, I will never be able to have a friend that I've known as long as I've known Nick or Ryan. Um, You know, if I started today, as long as I know those guys, they will always be the more storied friendship uh, with a richer history. And I realize, you know, as I'm older, I feel like a lot more of uh, my social uh, battery power kind of goes towards the maintenance of friendships instead of the generation of new ones. Um, I do love meeting new people, but I just have so many uh, awesome friends. I mean, you've heard two of them on this podcast. And you're going to hear more with time, but I just feel really fortunate to have people like that in my life who, you know, force me to step back and analyze financial decisions or think about my career and, uh, and to encourage me, you know, it's nice to be with a group of, uh, of young, successful professionals and to be kind of talking about, uh, what I envision, you know, business wise for me down the line. Uh, albeit podcast or straightforward, uh, you know, being a recording artist with music. It was just fun to kind of, I don't want to say make believe because I mean, you know, I'm, I am making music, I am podcasting, but it was fun to think about it. And, uh, yeah, I guess play dress up, uh, for a while and, and put the hat on as though this is what I will be doing for money down the line. Of course, nothing's promised, but you know, I I think we all need a dream or uh, it doesn't hurt to have one. It just hurts sometimes when your uh, your dream and your reality don't necessarily uh, align in a way that can happen. But 
All right. So as I was uh, kind of making my uh, bare bones outline for what to address during this episode, I made the decision that I wanted to share one of these demos I've been working on with you. Um, a big part of what I've been trying to do this summer is I made a budget for this one song. And I originally was just saying, OK, I'm just going to drop one single because I hadn't you know, I have not dropped a single. And so that seems like the first step before dropping a whole project. I started to write, you know, some names. This person could maybe do the hook. This person could do mixing and mastering. This person could do the artwork, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The cost was piling up. I then realized, oh, you know, I can do the hook. Like my voice isn't perfect, but I, whatever. I, it's what I have. And if I have to rely on people for hooks for the entirety of my career, I will lose, you know, a decent fraction of all my revenue. So, boom, I, I'm working on hooks. Mixing and mastering. I'm trying to work on learning how to do it myself. Uh, but, <clears throat> and you just heard my voice crack there, uh, from the aforementioned long weekend in Conway, <laughs> South Carolina. But anyways, uh, you know, the more you can do for yourself, the better. And that's how a lot of guys, I think, end up producing their own stuff. I have not gone to that level yet. I think... I would rather uh, be very crafty in how to utilize those instrumentals and record my vocals and collaborate. Uh, it seems like, you know, my time spent uh, should be more focused on the rapping. Without much further uh, ado, this is a demo. I don't know if this will ever pop up anywhere else. Uh, but for some reason, just something about the hook. I really have been working on layering and uh, approaching vocal production in a way that is kind of dense and uh, reflective of like Tame Impala. I watched some uh, some tutorials on them and, you know, that Lil B, the bass god, cloud rap style. Uh, so here is Round and Round We Go. And I am Y'all Y'all. And again, you've been listening to the Booth and Pod. So let's go. Booth and exclusive. Let go. Oh, when I'm when the side house show up, she won't be on the 
I just I feel like that goes pretty stupid hard, but it is what it is. Anyways, uh, I I made that song. I was kind of inspired, to be honest, to be a little transparent. Not that you know anybody's asking about my process, uh, but there that 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 song is largely I think future inspired, um, maybe even uh, just a rip off. But it is what it is. Uh, anyways, that instrumental I do own. I do have a whole uh, bucket of instrumentals from uh, Exorcism for Girls. Is uh, that guy's name? But um <clears throat> anyways as for the phone lines uh the booth line this week we don't have any qu- uh calls or questions or comments or you know uh love letters that have come in to the booth line but if you feel so inclined to reach out that is 9107184442 again thank you so much for listening to this podcast um <clears throat> i mean it, it means a lot to me and it's uh been a source of regularity during very unregular times and just like i was telling a buddy of mine over the weekend uh i believe it was nick he was kind of joking that me as a grandpa would be a funny podcast and i said well the podcast is an extension of myself and so as long as I can make a podcast, I'm going to. So one day, this will be the Grandpa Y'all Y'all podcast. But we're not quite there yet. We got a lot of living left to do. I'll make this quick before the freestyle. This is the call to action. Basically, here's the gist of it. If you're an artist and you use social media platforms, you don't actually have access to your listeners. Uh, the social media platform serves as a middleman. And so eventually, if you do get 100,000 likes on Facebook or whatever, then Facebook will expect you to uh, slide them money to make sure your post is on their feed. Uh, what we can do as SoundHounds, as fans of this podcast, or if you just support um, you know, underground art, underground hip-hop, is uh, just tell one person who you think would like this podcast that effectively just gets rid of uh, the social media platform as the middleman. Um, if you can't think of anybody who would enjoy it, let's say they like Adult Swim or uh, Theo Vaughn, Tim Dillon, uh, Tiger Belly, those type of podcasts, then um, just post the Spotify link onto your Instagram story. The reason I specify uh, the Spotify for the episode is because they can just, with the tap of a finger, have this podcast in uh, their ears. And that's a very powerful tool that kind of circumvents the uh, the powers that be from you know forcing me to, to hand over money to access my followers. So... Uh, if you are listening and you're a part of the Booth and Fam, welcome. If this is your first episode, I appreciate it. But uh, let's keep growing this thing. And with your help, uh, I think that uh, this podcast will continue to have uh, longevity and will produce some awesome music and thoughts, hopefully. All right, let's get the freestyle going. Thank you for listening. Um, I think I'll probably be the spaceships and moon dictating yeah, yeah. robots to robots. Or else I'm here. Once again, with my friend, and we do 
Mess it up in the cut. Listening to the rare fusion of podcasting and rapping known as Boothin. I am y'all, y'all. That's you all twice over, contracted, capitalized, and punctuated. Don't forget it. This is episode 00036. We're going to call this one Shift Change. Right now, and at the top of the show, we had the beautiful musical musings of Exercise, uh, one of my favorite bands on earth. And they're out of Wilmington. Prior to that, we had a freestyle instrumental produced by Mont the Beatmaker. And in the middle of the show, we had a rare sneak peek at something that might never be anything produced by Exorcism for Girls. If you'd like to support this podcast, please tell a friend, post it to your Instagram story. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Boothin underscore pod. That's B-O-O-T-H-I-N underscore P-O-D. Y'all for one, one for y'all. Until next Wednesday, just in time for the sunshine to come tickling them toes, we are Boothin'.